time where the phone never stops ringing. Cold calls and spam emails seem to pour in endlessly. And there is always someone that wants to buy you lunch for the chance to make you a client. This is where real salespeople pitch solutions to real problems while we snuff out the BS. Welcome to the Oil & Gas Pitch Podcast with your host, Voron Spivak. Welcome to the Oil & Gas Pitch Podcast. We're in downtown Houston. We're at the House of Blues. And I'm really excited to announce this partnership. And we're going to share a lot more about what we're doing, not just here at the House of Blues, but at OGGN, as we have some really cool events coming up. And I'll be sharing those in the show notes. You know, it was just a couple months ago that I met an oil and gas executive and he knew about the show. He's very connected to OGGN and he started telling me about this company, MROIO. And not that they just are saving companies millions of dollars, but there's actually an ROI that leads to the hundreds of millions of dollars in savings for oil and gas companies that have inventory. And we're going to get into all of that today. My guest is Jeremiah Woodford. He is the global sales leader at MROIO, and I'm very excited to get this thing started. Thank you, Jeremiah, for being here. You know, one of the things that I've researched, and I just feel like it'd be a great way to kick off, but it sounds like a lot of fat for companies is in inventory, and that's kind of your mission to go up against that, and actually you have a way to really make an impact. Yeah, well, Warren, thanks for having us. Thanks for having me. Excited to talk about it is quite been, been a part of this company for over four years now, and it's probably one of the neatest products I've ever been a part of. We are bringing in lots of savings and identifying where there's bloat in companies' inventories. What the idea of this solution is is bringing out is taking out the emotions. What we see time and time again in a lot of, a lot of these large organizations when they're buying inventory. And what I mean emotions is you have operations maintenance guys that they might run out of inventory and that's their job is to keep plants up and running, production up and running. And so they want to make sure it never happens again. So they just double what they're holding without really a lot of logic applied to it. And what we're doing and what our software and solution brings to bear is brings logic, so a lot of mathematics to it and science and some AI and machine learning to help them make a better understanding of what they should be holding and when they should be buying. All right. Well, I'm excited to get into this. I know you brought a presentation and something that I guess kind of surprises me is that there are so many modern companies that are really trying to be cutting edge, but in the world of inventory and how they monitor this and really the gluttony of inventory that could be anywhere in the world that they're not aware of, the disruption that causes for them, sometimes they don't even know. Yeah, I think it's it's a fair statement. We see time and time again, especially in the higher ups, not really aware of how much inventory they're actually sitting on. There's a lot of what I would say practices in the industry, especially in the upstream industry, where they will capitalize the inventory. And to them, it means it's a zero dollar item, but it's still inventory sitting in a warehouse. Mm. And that's that's working capital they spent money on. And it's just sitting there for years on end. And sometimes it never gets used. And sometimes it gets thrown away. And our goal here is, is to really free up that working capital, uh, leverage that inventory, and right-size inventory for your operations. Awesome. Well, let's kick it off. I do want to mention one thing as you get started. This is an IBM company. This is something that IBM found out about, really realized the value, and made it a part of their portfolio of services. It is, yes. So IBM acquired us just over three years ago, and we've fallen into the, the bigger organization and family of IBM. 
And then also IBM has brought to us some of the really cool, some of their research technologies to expand our product. We'll talk about that shortly. Awesome. Great. Well, let's kick it off. So just to give a little fundamentals, what this thing is and what it does, so it frees up working capital. Like I said, it re, it's a reduction inventory spend and a reduction inventory surplus. The company, before I, IBM acquired us, had been around for quite some time. We got our start in Australia in the mining industry. And then from the mining industry, we branched off into oil and gas, power generation, utilities. And that's really where we stay today. We have some manufacturing. We do have some aero, aerospace and defense and transportation. But if you really think about it, it's really around asset intensive industries, the Dow Chemicals, the Exxon Mobiles, the VPs of the world that hold and maintain large assets on an ongoing basis. That's really what our focus is and what we do really well. Mm. So just to kind of walk you through what this thing does on a regular basis and what, what it, from the perception of the client, the system it sits in the cloud, it's 100% SaaS product. It plugs into the customer's ERP, typically SAP, maybe Maximo, maybe Oracle. But the idea is that it, it plugs into it, it pulls out all the procurement history. So if you think about the big EMP company, super major, that has offshore platforms all over the world, some land base, they're buying inventory from all over the world, and they're very regionalized. No one's looking at it from a holistic point of view, from a global point of view in most cases. So when we plug in, we're pulling all those transactional data, all that master data, all that catalog information of all the inventory they're buying all the supplier information, the maintenance information, the asset information. So our goal here is we get all that historical data, and it's a lot of data. There are terabytes and terabytes of data going into IBM Cloud, and then we're processing that. So a lot of mathematical and a lot of algorithms are going through that data and making sense of the data and making recommendations. So I guess the best way to kind of wrap your head around it is if you think about maybe Dow Chemical has a compressor sitting in a warehouse mm -hmm. somewhere in one of their warehouses, and in SAP, they may have a min-max of 10 and 11. So if they use one, they order one. And their safety stock is that 10, that buffer, if you will. So what we do is, where that compressor comes into our system, we look at all the historical data, look at any future demand, we look at, we calculate the total lead times, we're, we're determining how critical this material is by associating the parts to the assets that it's used on. And then we're looking at holding costs and stock costs and economic order quantity, a bunch of different factors. But ultimately, what we're going to do is come up with a recommendation. So in this example of 10 and 11, we may come back and say it should be a 7 and an 8. And if the user accepts that, we immediately reduce that holding, that min-max, and push it back into SAP immediately. Okay, so I just want to stop you there. So if I'm hearing you right, what you're saying is that a lot of companies because of maybe just a little bit of not knowing, they kind of overshoot and will like pull the trigger a lot sooner on inventory. Absolutely. Yeah, Pushing so, purchases. Absolutely. So we see it time and time again that a lot of, and I come from the maintenance world. My, my background has been in asset management, mm -hmm. maintenance management for years now. And I've actually worked on offshore platforms as a roughneck. And time and time again, when you see something go down, maintenance and completely understand it's their job to make sure things are up and running and they, they get in trouble if they don't have the part and it's not available and it, and it prolongs that downtime and you have to helicopter something out if you're on an offshore platform so you want to avoid that and so it's a very emotional decision and you typically have seen it time and time again they just double the number mm. really no not a lot of logic going into it which i get it right what is more important uptime and production versus this twenty dollar part or this two thousand dollar part you know, on certain platforms, you know, production's a million dollars a day. 
we don't want to cause a downtime of extending a couple of hours of a million dollars a day on a, a $2,000 part. So, but when you look at it holistically of parts across the globe, you're talking hundreds of millions of dollars. And that's what we're doing. And so we're really trying to remove that emotion from it and apply a lot of logic and where you can look and query and you see in the system how we came to that determination and it makes sense. The other factor that we see time and time again is, is that the initiation of the start of the asset. So at the start of the asset, when the engineering and liability meet, they determine how much they're going to buy and hold for operating for typically the first couple of years. And the OEMs, it's in their nature to say, you need to hold this at X amount. And so that's typically when we see they buy up about twice, 2X of what they actually need. Because the OEMs, they're, they're incentivized for selling more parts. Their sales reps are trying to push more parts. And so that's when you build up the surplus. And ultimately, those parts become obsolescent mm -hmm. because they never get used. And it's just a burn and waste of money. So with all of this technology, and then now you're even connecting the dots even further to where this solution is really expanding and it's becoming even more kind of adapt to help companies. What is the way people are doing it that don't know MROIO? Like what are, what is, what's happening right now in these shops where you see not just where they're ordering kind of too much too soon just to be kind of on the safe side, but there's other mistakes that they're making. Yeah, so great point. So uh, this that's a good segue. So okay. the challenge that we're talking about here is, is that if you look at these companies, they're managing, if I'm a material manager or category manager for some of these companies, you're managing hundreds of thousands of items. Some of these companies, some of our customers, the ExxonMobil's and BP's of the world and BHB's are managing a million to two million catalog items. There's no way they have a team of people they don't have a big enough team of people to go through those items on a regular basis to determine is the stocking strategy still correct. Mm. Especially when you have market swings like when COVID hit. Are we, you know, when COVID hit, there we had customers that were shutting wells down. And there's no way without a system like this to be able to effectively go into your ERP oh. system and systematically reduce inventory holding stocking strategy to prevent any reorders, unnecessary reorders, because SAP, your ERP system is not going to know that you're shutting wells down and you're reducing mm. production. So it may, something breaks, maintenance fix it, triggers reorder, but this is happening across the globe. Oh, so there's a keyword I wrote in my show notes, which is machine learning. But this is basically the concept of you guys having this data is allowing you to know really how far along a piece of equipment is in its lifespan. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So a key factor is, is that we're also pulling, and that's what makes us unique in this space. There's a lot of competitors in the market that come from retail mm -hmm. that are considering purchase history. Mm -hmm. and so we're looking at purchase history as well for a forecast. So we're giving a 12 to 24 month forecast on this is what we, what, how much you think you should hold based on past usage and any future demand that you may have. We're also looking at maintenance history and the assets those parts are being used on. And that's crucial so when you look at, say, competitors that came from retail, I guess the best analogy to give you from that perspective is, is that if you run out of bread in the grocery store shelf, it doesn't kill anybody or it doesn't shut the grocery store down. Mm. But these, these operations that we're running in is crucial to know how critical these parts are and the assets they're being used on because they do shut production down. They can potentially kill some people if not planned properly. Wow, that's incredible. And the, and the idea that people are using old school methods and in some cases, paper, 
Yeah, paper. We see it a lot. Lots of Excel documents, reports. So we do. We come in. So our best customers that we come in that are trying to solve this problem with reports and Excel and and some data scientists. But what we've been developing this product for over 20 years, and what it's not just making recommendations. It's automating that day-to-day process. So. Like I said, you're dealing with hundreds of thousands of parts, mm-hmm. and material manager really has maybe 10 to 15 minutes a day to focus. To where do I need to focus? And it's really almost impossible to go through those parts on a regular basis. That's what this tool is doing. Hey, it's Mark LaCour, Editor-in-Chief here at OGGN. Just a quick interruption to share a few things that are going on in October. We have not one, but two industry mixers this month, one on October 7th and one on the October 21st. Just check out our social. They're always great events, and the money that you help us raise goes to fight human sex trafficking, and you get to network with oil and gas executives. We have a new show just came out, Energy Transition Podcast. Also remember, we have 14 other podcasts for your listening pleasure. And then the end of this year, we'll be full media partners for the 23rd World Petroleum Congress, December 5th through 9th. The World Petroleum Congress has not been in Houston over 30 years, so make sure you put space in your calendar. Come check us out. And then finally, join the OGDN Street team on LinkedIn. It's our all-volunteer group that's really going places. I'll see you again next month. Okay, then you, from a global standpoint, this is something, too, where companies not just are trying to manage their inventory, but they're trying to do it in different parts of the globe. Meanwhile, you have one central kind of purchasing center of influence? Well, it just depends on the company. Each company is run separately and different in how they execute their procurement. We support both methods. Each region in the world are all going to be have their nuances, but they all believe every company that we come into, I'm operating in Kazakhstan or I'm operating in Indonesia, Mm -hmm. they all have their own local regulations that have to be, be applicable. And so a lot of times what we see the customers or what they're doing is they're throwing their hands up that this is such a big problem, we, we don't think it can be solved due to those local regulations and their data. The data mm-hmm. is not good enough or something like this. And what we mm-hmm. say time and time again is we can show you that you do have good enough data to, to actually show some optimization. It's not going to be perfect, but we can also help you pinpoint where your gaps are as well. Perfect. It makes a lot of sense, and it's kind of interesting to uh, find out how this really is kind of a turnkey solution for the biggest of the big, and it almost sounds like even just somebody who's only operating domestically could profit from this. Yeah, absolutely. So we have customers, we have small utility companies that are you know just operating in a, in a small region of a, a state mm-hmm. to some of the largest Fortune 100 companies in the world running our software. Nice. The software is very enterprise and can be configured per plant level. So I guess the best analogy of what that means is is that so if you we have a customer that's got some coal fire plants, they're shutting down. So our system we can put an end date. So the idea is that if you think about from an operation standpoint, you're using material, you're keeping the plants up and running, you're always constantly reordering parts to make sure you keep that plant up and running. Mm-hmm. From our perspective, we can easily put, hey, this plant's gonna be shut down in five years. So you want to run that inventory to just uh, close to the zero as you possibly can. So you're not continually, in, your operating costs are going to be matching that end date as well. I love that. It's like in a world where everybody's looking from today and where they need to be tomorrow, you guys are actually going like, well, we know our exit date is in five years and you're reverse engineering the inventory. So right. you have like almost a whole nother layer of efficiency. Absolutely. And then on the flip side, and especially in the upstream oil and gas, it's about growth and, and so you've got a new asset 
production is king. And a lot of times we see in time and time again, it's not about inking the, the biggest efficiencies and saving the inventory. It's about making sure they have the critical spare parts on hand to mm. keep production going. And that's a crucial factor about our system. Me and being in sales constantly talk about the savings we bring to bear. But the big factor is our customers are really, for the new assets, are really wanting to use our system to, to data mine and make sure those critical spare parts are, are available and ready in case they have a break fix. Okay, so that's an interesting thing that I'm, I'm kind of coming around as you explain this. But the ROI really comes from several places. One is as your business is running efficiently and you don't have these down days and you're really proactively planning for growth that is sustainable. But then on the flip side, the way you're purchasing is changing the way you're investing in inventory. And then in addition to that, you have, if, if you have, let's say, several locations, you don't have one warehouse manager not knowing what's available in another company-owned warehouse across the country or the globe. Both. So another big factor about our system is, is to be able to help the look at your inventory holistically and identify where you're buying like parts across the globe and where you can save. So we can reduce spend. So looking at the ability to cut global contracts. Now with the IBM, we have a bigger footprint with the ability to come in and go, look, you've got, you're buying, you're sourcing the same material at all these different warehouses, but you're not looking at it from a global perspective. And where can we get a global contract from these vendors for these same parts? And versus cutting five purchase order, cut one purchase order, and you get a savings for that, that bulk buy. I see. That's pretty huge. It's like taking that Costco factor and applying it to big business. Absolutely. Absolutely. I like this graph because this really encapsulates what we're bringing to bear. So this is the actual customer. When we go live, when we implement the software, it usually takes about three months to stand the software up. It's really quick. It's not like implementing an ERP system. Does it require the company to like tie up their own resources and then suddenly they're going, wow, like we have all these great people that work for our company, but now that we did this deal with MRO, we've got added you know, work to do. Who does the heavy lifting? Yeah, good question. So we typically, by the nature of what we're doing is we require one or two people from the organization with some SMEs that understand how they're managed inventory today. And it's not a full time. So out of the three months, we're taking about two weeks of their time. Mm. to sit down and go through some workshops, get some configuration. We have to do, they have to agree to some cost models that we're putting into the system. And then effectively, they're off and running. The users are able to use the system, query the data, and start using their, and hitting the recommendations. That's so great. So a few months, a company can go from zero to hero in a way. Absolutely. And that is one of the big reasons IBM bought us is relatively for some of the IBM projects, we're small from a software perspective mm -hmm. of purchasing and implementation of this is very small to some of the big IBM projects at some of these customers. Mm -hmm. The goal here is, is that it brings such a value to the client and the amount of ROI that we free up, working capital we free up within months, that the goal is, is that this is a big value add to bring to your customers within the IBM organization. It's great because the more I listen to this, guys, it's like so obvious that just the cost of shipping, right, and the logistics and everything that's associated with that, when you start to have really good data and you have great information, now you're consolidating and now you're doing things in a new way that ultimately will help the pocketbook. Absolutely. So I'll walk you through real quick uh, what this waterfall chart looks like. And so this is an actual customer that had $786 million in total inventory. Out of that inventory, so this is a 12-month forecast. So what we're saying is, is that we're providing a forecast over the next 12 months at this point in time when we ran this report. 
And what we said is that 20 million, there's a 20 million dollars of purchasing of critical spare parts they don't have enough of. What we're saying is the next 12 months, there's going to be stockouts. Mm. You're not holding enough. We're predicting that you're going to have stockouts, which you're going to have to likely, this is only a gas company, helicopter parts out to the platform. So expediting costs, all that effort to get the parts out there. Cha-ching. I mean, that sounds expensive. Production. Exactly. The next one is really the lowest hanging fruit is $37 million of inventory. Just we're going to lower their min maxes to their actual usage periods, matching their historical usage. And they're going to run down over that 12 months, $37 million. So basically we're saying is we're going to prevent any new orders and run down what you have on the shelf mm. to the new current min max for this material. And then the last one is 18 million, almost $18 million of what we call surplus above their current max. And what that is, is essentially is bad maintenance processes and not because the maintenance people are doing something wrong. It's likely because in this example, they had poor, poorly written PM task mm -hmm. and the maintenance people were grabbing the wrong parts or too many parts. And by the time they returned them, a reorder was triggered. And so over time, they created an $18 million surplus of inventory. Gee. So at this point, this has really improved the process and stopped the hemorrhaging, prevent these new orders going out and improve those PM tasks. I'll, I'll just skip to the last one, the, the 42 million. This is what I was talking about where you have multiple warehouses, be able to look at the multiple warehouses where you're buying light material and where you have transfer opportunities and where you have the ability to potentially centralize some of the procurement of some of these parts, these expensive parts. So in this example, we showed regionally where they had regional assets, if you centralize some of your procurement and you uh, up for critical high dollar mm -hmm. spare parts and stocked not just for each individual asset, but for the, the region, they could reduce their inventory by $42 million. So while we're still on this slide, I just want to circle the wagons around this again, but lead time. And we're talking about, you know, to me, it just seems like as we go through this, it really is a big deal for the information, the data to help you know when you can buy things as opposed to on the fly and the consequences are just reduced. Yeah, absolutely. So lead time is next to our ability to ascertain criticality is just as important. And the way we look at lead time is we're calculating a moving average of lead time. So we're looking at all the receipt information coming in from their ERP system and we calculate a moving average. And most of our customers are actually taking our lead time into SAP or their ERP system for a record. But we're looking at total lead time, not just supplier lead time, because specifically we're operating in mining companies and oil and gas companies that operate in really remote parts of the world. Those suppliers are only responsible for a certain part of that delivery, typically to a warehouse or a port. And then that's, not, that's just half the story. Then mm -hmm. getting it to where it needs to be stored mm -hmm. and received for usage is another time frame. Wow. That's not... You know, you're only when you look at the supplier, their SLA is delivery to that warehouse. So for us, we're really we're taking total lead time until the parts truly available. Mm. It's crucial for us to make an appropriate stocking strategy for those parts, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does, and it's done in real time. It's not like there's just like some meeting where you kind of sit the client down and they know this is this is actually built into how they are purchasing. Absolutely, and it's like from day to day, they will know the most real time. Absolutely. And there's a lot of intelligence built into it. We have some learning algorithms that if there's an anomaly, so for a good example is if there was a hurricane in the Gulf of Mexico and a lot of shipments were delayed, we're going to know that. We're going to automatically clip that anomaly out of there. So say you have a, an average lead time of seven days for a part, all of a sudden it jumps to 30. 
we don't want to skew that lead time and your stocking strategy because there was a hurricane. That is great. So in reality, the executives, the purchasing directors, or whoever is actually you know interacting with this software, they're kind of relieved of having to be on duty like they're used to now, like watching what's going on, Absolutely. you know, in all these different parts of the hemisphere. Yeah, and on that note, we have what's really neat about the tool is you can do a bunch of what ifs. Uh -huh. So if you're considering changing supplier because the part's cheaper but your lead time is going to go, go up slightly. What that, what is that impact to that stocking strategy and your overall holding? Are you going to mm -hmm. hold more? And you you have that ability to run that without actually making any changes to the data. That's great. I can't help but want to dive into ROI, but I'm going to wait. I'm going to let you just keep going. But I, I really, it just keeps coming back to mind as we go through this. I am going to touch on a little bit something really specific and it's really what makes us unique in this space and why so specifically in oil and gas why most of our oil and gas customers have implemented our system and it's our unique ability to look at the parts and assign a criticality to the part and what we're doing is we're looking at the data we're looking at the criticality of the equipment so in this example you have a pump and you have a bearing that bearing that pump may be the most critical pump in, in productions mm -hmm. that they have so maintenance is deemed this is the most critical pump we have, if it goes down, you know, we're, we're, down, we're toast. So we can't let this go down. So any part associated with that pump is by nature is that critical as well. Now, when we look at that, we're going to, in our system, we have a, what's called a rules logic engine that has some machine learning capabilities into it. And so what it's going to do is it's going to adopt the criticality of the pump to that bearing, but then it's going to look at the bearings, lead time, how many suppliers can you get this bearing hmm. from? a number of different factors to as it used on other pumps. And, and so what's really neat about it is, is that every time a new transaction comes in against that bearing, so a new purchase order or a new main, you know, work order issued and you consume one of those bearings, it's constantly going to go back and look, is this bearing still being used on that critical pump? Mm. Do you still have three suppliers? Oh no, you only have, you have to go to the OEM and you can't go to those three suppliers. Now you have to buy it from the OEM and your lead time just went up. Those are factors that can constantly change month to month or within a year. Then we're going to, that could change your stocking strategy for that bearing. Wow. That makes sense? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And it's interesting too because, you know, here I am, you know, I don't deal with inventory every day, but like everything you're walking me through and the way you're explaining this allows me to really understand how inventory relates to uptime and like how all of these proactive capabilities does what you're talking about which I, again, like when it comes to ROI, I just cannot wait to get in, get, in, get into it with you, which about the fact that when you're talking about saving millions and millions, and in this case, hundreds of millions of dollars for certain companies, I just want to believe you're in sales. People have to resist that. In other words, they, you know, when we hear things that sound too good to be true, we almost assume that and don't really learn more. But as you walk us through this, it just seems like everything you're saying makes a lot of sense. It does, yeah. And so what we've learned over the years been in sales, so this is a good example. So one of the super majors, in the first the 36 months, we reduced $132 million <laughs> of inventory out of their global inventory I mean, level. I mean, seriously? I mean, this, but, this is like somebody sitting down going like, hey, like, you know, at the beginning of COVID, hey, we, we, we squashed it. We know the super combo to make this go away. I agree. And so when I first came on this company, I was, this is amazing. I'm going to go sing it from the <laughs> mountaintops. But when I really started getting into the, down to the customer level and understanding from their perspective, their goal was not the 132 million. Their goal was the 18 million. 
they were in search of $18 million of critical spare parts they didn't have enough of. And when we showed that we reduced $132 million, they said, that's great, but you helped us keep production up and running millions of dollars a day in oil production, and that was at $18 million. Yeah. Now, but you also have to consider from the, you know, the material manager's day job. Mm -hmm. They're not looking at this from, in most cases, now it's, things are changing where we're starting to finally see in certain companies where they do have active, hey, we need to reduce. We, we've mm -hmm. got too many warehouses. We're spending too much money on inventory. We need to find efficiencies. We're starting to have those conversations finally. But in, a lot of times in the past, especially in up, upstream oil and gas, it was really about helping them identify the critical spare parts they didn't have enough of. And that, that material manager working for this Fortune 100 company, it really wasn't beneficial to him to say, hey, I, I reduced $100 million of inventory. Okay. Does All right. Sense? It does. It does. But I have to ask you this. In those early meetings, right, here's a company that loves you and has like proof in the pudding that this was a great decision for them. But what were even their misconceptions when they met you? Like you're going to these meetings where you're probably hearing resistance right in real time on the very first call. What are the misconceptions that you're up against? Data. They're always, everyone, 99% of the time when we present our solution, people are going, this is great. This is, is a, a neat idea. This is fantastic but our data is not ready for something like this. We need to go on a cleansing project before we could get it into and make this useful. And, they, and it's constant I hear is junk in, junk out. And that's true in certain cases, but your data is never gonna be perfect. Mm. Every customer has big gaps in their data. And that's one of the things that this system will help highlight. It's really hard to articulate without actually showing the software, but the general idea is, is that you do have, as long as you have purchase order history, in a part number, we can forecast it. Okay, so let me stop you there because somebody could be listening and they're going like, I agree, like our data is a mess. We don't, we don't have good housekeeping. You're saying that if they can pull these old invoices going back how long, they can suddenly give you what you need to kind of begin the matrix to start the process. Absolutely, so a couple things on this note, and, this is how, and we do this time and time again with our customers is, is that, so we're, ideally we're looking for two plus years of transactional history on these parts. That's the ideal scenario. We also have the ability, because of our, our AI and AI machine learning capabilities, we are now aggregating like parts in industry standards. So mining and upstream oil and gas, we now have the ability to provide certain recommendations on light parts being purchased across the industry. If you don't want to participate in that type of AI capability, that means you have to we have to allow you you have to allow us to aggregate your data into a data pool. We also have the ability to look at your regions where you do have long historical usage and in regions that you don't have any, you have the data gaps, we can match up the materials that are being bought in each region and provide the history in the gapped region, if that makes any sense. Totally. And then just some target points. You talked about buying power earlier. The idea that if you have this information, buying power will help. But what about SKUs? Like I know that there was part of our conversation where you were talking about SKUs and I'm just curious, what are the angles there? What are the mistakes people are making with in the world of SKUs? Is that, is that even a possibility? Yeah. So big thing, and that really goes to the data problem. Most customers think that they you have to get their master data. So from a master data standpoint, they're creating a catalog and they have a taxonomy and naming conventions. And they think, 
before we start optimizing, we need to get this cleaned up because every time someone buys a part, they add a part to the catalog and they create a new SKU. And the reality is they probably have three of the same parts just named differently uh. in the catalog. And so the reality is we can optimize all three of those parts, but it's not ideal. So our solution has the ability to identify the duplicates. We have the ability to merge the duplicates. We also have machine learning algorithms now that can cleanse, enrich, and dedupe their, catalog, their entire catalog as we're optimizing. Wow, that's great. So Jeremiah, here it is, like all this stuff is really great. We're talking about money and we all know companies love to save money. We're talking about productivity. There's so much to this. But going back to that idea of when you're ordering inventory in an efficient way, there has to be benefits to the environment. There's gotta be something you can share about the carbon footprint because as I look at this, I just think to myself, there is not just efficiency with the financial side, but just really in all of what this inventory is doing in all facets. Absolutely. So, you know, it's, I'm sure you turn on the news, you hear it time and time again, Exxon board members are upset about, you know, their direction. Shell, BP have all come together and said they're going to start trying to bring in efficiencies on carbon footprint reduction. And so we're partnering with our customers today in that effort to start tracking KPIs for it. Right now, we're actively going through and calculating capabilities. So really, the use cases are really simple. If you think about, especially in upstream oil and gas, if we prevented them from having to helicopter a part out, just a specific part for a, a brake fix, that's really easy to calculate. We prevented that helicopter having to fly out to that production platform. So in that example, we do have a customer where we've reduced 90% of their expedited and they're air freighted parts. And when they say air freighted, because they had to air freight them out because they didn't have them when they needed them. Mm. So our goal is making parts of readily, right size in their inventory, getting mm. rid of the waste and making sure the ones they actually need are there when they need them. And thus reducing carbon footprint and having to expedite. There are also use cases on reduction of orders. So if overall orders across the globe, you're not having to container ships going across the globe or reducing that footprint as well. Uh, a little bit more complicated to calculate, but we have IBM Research is working on it as we speak. Awesome. Well, listen, this is great. I really think that our listeners will see the value here. Even, you know, we have such a wide range of viewers that sometimes people are in manufacturing or distributing, and they might not even be in the oil and gas industry. This is really a solution that goes beyond just one industry. Absolutely. Absolutely. I thank you for being here. You guys, we are here at the House of Blues. If you have not checked out the foundation room, I would say do it. They also are doing catering and parties, so check them out. The House of Blues Houston. And to all of you watching, thank you, and we'll see you on the next episode. Thanks, Jeremiah. Thank you. Bye. Check us out next week for another witty and sometimes spicy episode of the Oil & Gas Pitch Podcast a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com. <laughs>